All right, welcome into Dog Central on a Tuesday night. I am Graham Coffee. I am joined this evening by my friend, your friend, our friend, D. Woody himself. Dustin, how are you doing this evening? Good, good. You having a good week? Yeah, man. Yeah, doing well. Hope you're doing well. Uh, we got college football on TV this weekend. Are any any of those games pique your interest at all? Um, I would say the um, I guess the Notre Dame Navy game. It'll be interesting to see how that one goes. What about you? Yeah, that's that's probably the most interesting. I mean, I'm I'm a college football degenerate, so I'm I'm gonna watch. You know. Like out here, uh, out west, we get Pac-12 network. So I'm going to watch USC San Jose State for at least a quarter or so until uh, it gets way out of hand. And then uh, I'm going to watch Mexico State, man. I got I got love for uh, the, the killdozer over there. And Who are they uh, playing? Oh, my God. Some other crap team. Uh, Bishop Sycamore? It's not Bishop Sycamore, <laughs> but uh, – <laughs> It might as well be. It's let's see. They got UMass, the mighty Minutemen of UMass coming into town. So gonna be a barn burner. Um we got Harry and David and some of you in the chat. Thank you guys for joining in as always. Uh we got a lot to get to tonight, so let's jump straight into it. Um biggest thing I think out of Georgia Fall Camp in the last week at least, you know, in terms of the, the public realm. Uh, Carson Beck is your new quarterback number one in Athens. I don't think any big surprise there, but uh, kind of interesting to see Kirby make it official, right? Like, that's not something he's always done in the past. What was your initial reaction to that news? No, I mean, I would I thought he probably would have took his time on making that decision, but I, I think we've all known, and I think Beck's also known that he was um, going to be the starter. And, you know, it's uh, just been interesting. He's had times where in his career where he thought he was going to get it at a, at a younger age, and he hasn't. But I think a lot of that perseverance has helped him out in this camp to kind of be confident and know what he needs to do to, to get the job. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I, I think I think it's good to just get it out of the way. I think the best thing for Georgia this year is to not have quarterback controversy. And I think by naming a starter, you you hopefully kind of get rid of some of that. But I also think if he comes out and, you know, the first couple of weeks doesn't play well, and then all of a sudden we see, uh, you know, Gunnar Stockton or Brock Vandergriff come in and they do play well, then that's, you know, that's going to naturally create its own kind of uh, angst and dialogue. And there's always going to be people in the fan base that aren't, satisfied right so i mean that's that's the thing to monitor but i think for beck the best thing that can happen is for him to to have uh to have as many first team reps as he can get and that includes in practice and game prep right so uh i think it makes sense to go ahead and give it to him and i mean the info that i got from saturday's scrimmage was that he was he was taking pretty much all the first team reps uh to begin with so I don't know that it really makes much of a difference in terms of how they're operating, but it is public now. Yeah, it's probably a bigger battle is who's going to end up long-term being QB2. So that's probably going to be the one that over the first two weeks and probably gameplay. I don't know. I was assuming that they're both going to get to play. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that it, it's 
I want to see both those guys. And I think the best thing for Georgia is if that can come out in the first half of, of, you know, the, the UT Martin game in a week one and then boss against ball state in week two and like be sharp, you know, go 12 for 16 for 180 yards and two touchdowns. And then they can sit him on the bench and they can get those other guys some, some run, you know, cause I, we've never seen Brock Vandergriff throw a pass in a college football game to my knowledge. Uh, Gunnar Stockton's never taken a snap in a college football game. And, you know, I, we have no reason to think anything bad's going to happen, but uh, quarterbacks get injured. You know, it's something that happens. And like, even if it's, Hey, we need a guy to come in for a drive, you know, while uh, Beck's getting his ankle taped after getting stepped on funny and, an sec game on the road or something like that. Like you want those guys to not be thrown off the deep end, uh, you know, the, the very first time that they're, they're having to throw a pass in a college game. I agree. So let's move on. Uh, one thing that caught my eye, I, I posted a, a little, uh, Nothing, nothing earth shattering or groundbreaking, but a, a couple of people I know were, were at uh, Kirby Smart's uh, comments to the the Athens Touchdown Club. Uh, I believe it was last night he spoke to that crew, and uh, I mean, pretty like base level, surface level stuff. But one thing that he did mention, and I, I think he's kind of alluded to this at other points in camp, is that uh, he's concerned about Georgia's defensive line depth. That that's probably the position room that that he has the most angst over right now and i'm i'm curious to hear if you have any thoughts on that like my question is is he concerned about replacing jalen carter because you're not going to replace him yeah that's understandable or is he concerned that they don't have anybody to two gap against the run the way that Georgia's D tackles have in 2021 and 2022. Like we know Stackhouse is there. He's had a good camp. There's nothing I think changing with that, but who comes into games after him and who's going to line up next to him in, you know, that, that kind of three tech position. Uh, that's a big question for Georgia still. Yeah. And I think the key word is depth. So we know what we're going to look like on the front line of that. So you got your Brinson, Stackhouse, Logue. But then after that, when you kind of look at the depth chart, you got Christian Miller, Jonathan Jefferson, Walthor. Well, Walthor wouldn't be in that room. Um, and Jordan Hall and Jarrett. So, I mean, when you're talking about proven players, I don't think um, – I mean, obviously there's some, some power there. But if we're looking at people who have been in the program, like Jefferson, I mean, he hasn't really done – much anything at all so then you're looking at christian miller hall and Jarrett. so um that's kind of going back to the last time we spoke i feel like you've seen some reports on miller having a good camp i think he's going to be a really important player on the depth wise um and the thing that we're going to keep those guys just healthy throughout the whole year it's probably kind of being optimistic so i'm kind of looking to him and hall to see how they can fill those um those two deep holes for us yeah, for sure. I think that's, you know, if Jordan Hall can step up and play significant snaps for Georgia early in the season or even, in, you know, late in the season by the time they get to Knoxville and some of those more challenging games like Florida and Jacksonville, I think that would be important for Georgia. I also think that uh, 
having Kristen Miller, you know, that's that's a couple of you in the chat have just pointed pointed out, you know, he did look good on G Day and, and that's a guy mm-hmm. that I continue to hear positive buzz about from camp. And they need like Brinson, I think, is a known commodity in the sense of he is like serviceable against the run and he's really good against the pass. But I do have questions on sort of, you know, where that other kind of like zero tech, more of a true nose tackle is going to come from, or if they don't have that on the roster, can some of those other guys two gap as well as, uh, as well as the constant probably. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it is a little, it is a little interesting because if you, if you look at the roster and, I'm sure if I'm mistaken on this, one of you in the chat will will correct me on it, or Dustin, you might know. But off the top of my head, I think that Jalen Carter, other than Bear Alexander, obviously who transferred, but like Jalen Carter is the only guy they lost out of that room from you know in terms of graduation and or going to the draft. So, uh, yeah, I'm not seeing anybody else. I mean, there's at least I, – I mean, I know for a fact that there wasn't nobody else, like, that was playing significant amounts of snaps that's gone out of that room from last year. So, I, I'm curious to see how it's going to go, man. Um, and I think that's another spot where early in the season, like, getting a look at some of those younger guys. Like, Jonathan Jefferson is one that I've heard He's the biggest wall card. Yeah, the the kids really like him on the interviews I've I've seen in the summer. They've mentioned him, but I think it was an injury last year, but he's literally produced nothing to date. So that's going to be like your biggest wild card. And and for Kirby, he was big on pretty much um, thinning out the roster where he thought there was dead spots. If he thought he wasn't going to be able to produce, he would not be on this roster. So to see his name still on here must mean that he thinks he can produce. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like I said, I've heard some nice things about him out of camp. Um, I I also am curious about Zion Logue, who I, I mean, I know that like he's not a wild card in the sense that we've seen him play, but he put on a bunch of weight this offseason. Like he's up over 300 pounds or close to 300 pounds for the first time in his career. He's always been extremely long, but I mean, that's that's the guy that I hear about in terms of, like, consistency day in, day out at fall camp. It's Stackhouse and Logue, Stackhouse and Logue. Every day, Stackhouse and Logue had a good practice. Um, what does he look like with that extra weight on him is something that I'm, I'm very interested to see because, you know, going into 2021, I think a lot of people thought he was going to break out and even going into last year, and he's he's played some – significant snaps for Georgia in the past, but um, I wouldn't say he's been like a, a cornerstone of, of that defensive front. So maybe this is the time where he really kind of shines because he has always been more of a, more of kind of a developmental prospect in a way of just like having, having some natural length, but uh, maybe not having quite the size that, that Georgia usually has in terms of their interior line so be interesting to watch do you have any other thoughts on the d-line uh no the only other thing i just would retire to recruiting you see how many bodies that kirby's recruiting this class so i mean i would say that that's kind of proof in the pudding that he probably 
I mean, if you look at the way he recruited, I don't think he really thought long-term that he was going to lose Bear Alexander, but, you know, he probably saw him more as a depth piece, and obviously Bear doesn't think he's depth right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't – yeah, I think Alexander's departure – I don't want to go too far down that wormhole, but uh, – Yeah, I feel you. De- definitely, I think, not uh, not as much related to what he was or wasn't doing on the field and more related to other other things. Um, so, kind of continuing in this vein of, of fall camp intel um, and – kind of wanted to touch on this before we uh we get into questions and we have a lot of really good questions tonight so thank you to our dog central subscribers for loading those up i feel like every time you come on the show we get the good questions dustin um yeah last time was really good yeah so one of the other i think remaining big questions for georgia is who is going to be that boundary corner across from kamari lassiter um good news is that lassiter you know was back I don't know if he's a hundred percent full, full speed, but he was back practicing with Georgia this week. And it sounded like, you know, uh, he was not held out of the scrimmage. So he's, he's close to being, I think, where I think he had non-contact though, didn't he? He might have, that could be true. I'm yeah. Or at least maybe earlier in the week. Um, that's a good question, but if he's, you know, if he's out there and taking scrimmage reps, even if it's non-contact, that's that's a good sign that he'll be ready to roll, especially by the time Georgia plays anybody that has a remote threat of, of actually beating them. But, um, you know, going back to, to spring practice, the big question has been who is going to – who's going to be the guy across from Lassiter? And, uh, you know, we, we've seen Nylon Green, like Nylon Green and Dalen Everett, they were the first guys out on the first day of fall camp taking the first team reps when, when Lassiter was out, but the name that has been kind of sneaking around for a while now, and I would say even going back to bowl practices and in some of November last year has been Julian Humphrey. I think maybe a little bit of a forgotten man, at least in terms of, someone who was rated as a five-star by, by some of the recruiting services, not as much attention, not as much hype as what we are used to seeing from a five-star who comes into the Georgia program. And when he showed up in Athens, I think a lot of people thought he might be one season and out to the transfer portal, not really a natural fit necessarily just coming, you know, straight in uh, with just sort of the, the Georgia way, like, very talented kid, but um, a little bit more of a new age kid. And I think that Georgia, uh, this is one of those examples of like Georgia's culture kind of working, right? Where they, they took a guy who showed up and maybe didn't fit in right away. And instead of that kid, you know, becoming a problem for the rest of the locker room, it seems like the rest of the locker room was able to sort of, uh, you know, peer pressure him for lack of a better word into becoming a guy who does things the way that Georgia staff expects him to be done and never a behavioral issue off the field. I want to be clear, but just like Georgia works really hard. And a lot of kids that are five stars, they come into a college program and 
they're so naturally gifted that they've never really had to work hard. And I think Julian Humphrey has started to, to learn how to work hard in the way that Georgia expects. But, uh, you know, heard buzz about him late last year. Lots of moments where he would flash, the talent would be there. And then all of a sudden on Saturday, it's like, hey, Julian Humphrey basically played all of the first team reps as, as cornerback uh, today, you know, in Georgia's second scrimmage. And uh, I asked somebody about, you know, kind of his role and what to make of that. And they were just like, hey, like he's, he's probably our best cover corner. And we expect that he's going to have to play a lot. And so we, we want to get him reps. We want to get him used to, to playing, you know, 70, 80 snaps a game and uh, tackling a running back out in the flat and then getting back up and covering a fly pattern 40 yards downfield. So that I think is a surprise maybe for a lot of people like this is in a lot of folks, it's been Nylon green or Dalen Everett. Right. And now all of a sudden we get here to, to late August and it feels like Julian Humphrey might have the inside track on that job. Yeah, I would say since you're a betting guy, you probably would have had that as like a plus 500, plus 1,000 odds probably coming into the, the season. But if you kind of look at guys that are six foot 190 running a 4-3-4, speed, um, if you get technique down, that's – I mean, it's – when you're a quarterback, you're going to thread a needle. So they have closing speeds if you're, if you're making um, – you're making bad reads and, and throws. So um, I can kind of see where it's coming from, but I, I will say that the good thing with the first two games is um, is having that extra time. I think Everett and him are both going to get playing time and Nylon Green, even though it's not trending that way. But having those first two games is going to be very imperative on seeing what they have with probably the teams. Obviously not the best talent in the world, but at least they will be throwing the ball around the yard a lot more. So – um, and then the other thing, going back to having depth, you know, there's there's teams like LSU that would kill to have depth like this right now um, oh, yeah. in the corners. So having those guys, I mean, we've been really blessed with help at corner the last year or two. So, I mean, you just can't say that, you know, like right now, if, if we would have had that injury during the season, we would have been depending on both him and Humphrey. So um, I think it's really um, first world problems, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I still think you're going to see, you know, I, I, I can't say for sure that Humphrey's definitely going to be the guy, although it does feel like it's trending that way. But um, regardless of whoever starts game one, I think that's another spot where they're going to want to get a look at a lot of different mm-hmm. kids. And, you know, I mean, it was only a couple of years ago where uh, you saw Amir Speed start the season and then Ringo kind of take over in game three, game four, somewhere in there. What's interesting, though, is that in this scenario, you know, uh, Humphrey and Everett, they're the same class, but, like, those are kind of the young bucks. And so I I thought, truthfully, that we would probably see Nylon Green start for Georgia in game one because he's just been around and he knows what they want and he knows the system, but – uh, and that could still happen, but it just it feels more and more like uh, like Humphrey's kind of separated from the pack there a little bit. So I'm, I'm interested to see what that looks like. But uh, throw another former five star into Georgia's secondary, I guess, right? I mean, yeah, and they and they beat out um, Singletary. You know, Singletary's not even in the program, so I mean, they they've done work to still be on the team. So that's a good point. Good props to them. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean he's at Arkansas, and I think they expect him to play Singletary. Yeah, like which says a lot that you know he wasn't really on Georgia's two deep or maybe even their three deep at the position, and there's a chance he could play starter level snaps in an SEC program this year, and not an SEC program named Vanderbilt. Um. All right, let's move on to some questions. Uh, like I said earlier, we got a lot loaded up. Uh, I see Bill is in the chat, so I'm going to go ahead and hit your question because uh, we like to reward those in the chat. Um, Bill asks, based on the current health of the running back room, how do you, do you see the running back rotation going early in the year? I would you take that one. Yeah, I would hope all will see some playing time based on how the schedule sets up early. I, I think it's a tough question, man. Like, I, I'm gonna obviously uh, give you guys my best guess here, but uh, I, I think you you look and Dejan Edwards seems to be the clear number one at running back right now. Uh, and you know, I think even if Kendall Melton was 100 percent healthy, Edwards might have a slight edge in that battle. I think they, you know, they would probably be co-number ones. But um, Edwards has had a good camp is really the point I'm trying to make. After that, it's a it's a whole lot of toss-up, man. You know, and, and I think uh, there's been some excitement around Roderick Robinson, and I think that's warranted. I, th- I think, obviously, he's a – He's a very good player, um, but I I think that we're in a spot where, you know, he might not quite be ready yet for for what Georgia is going to want and need out of that position. Um, and so I, I'm feeling more like we're going to see a lot of Cash Jones this year, uh, or at least early in the year. And you have Savon Clark there. He was the starter on G-Day. So I feel like it'd be foolish to count him out of that rotation. But the one that's really, I think the most intriguing is Andrew Paul, right? Like he's come back from that ACL injury. Uh, He had a 35 yard touchdown catch in Georgia's scrimmage on Saturday. According to one person I talked to, like he's looking healthy. Uh, I don't know how much of a load he's ready to carry, but Georgia doesn't need him to, go carry the ball 30 times a game, right? Like if they can get eight or 10 out of them, that would be great. So I think it's Edwards and then Jones, Clark combo, but I think Andrew Paul might be talented enough to, to maybe jump over those two. Yeah, I think, I think um, the pass catching downs is where you're going to see um, Cash and Paul come in. So whoever can lead that battle probably will be the ones getting snaps. Yeah, for sure. Um, we got a good question from TJ in the chat here. Uh, you know, TJ, I actually was – TJ's question is, will Bobo use the tight ends in a hybrid fullback role this year? And I was, was actually writing some stuff for the site, uh, I think maybe Sunday night, and I was slipping through channels for some background noise, and uh, the t- 2007 Georgia-Florida game was on. And uh, – Whoever the fullback was back in that day, there was one play where he he caught like a I think it was a third and goal touchdown catch off uh, off play action out into the flat, 
And I just thought to myself, like, how much more effective is that play going to be with with Brock Bowers being the guy running into the flat? Or, or, or you know, I, I don't know that Oscar Delp is really going to play that H-back role. But um, I think to answer your question, TJ, that, like, Lawson Lucky getting hurt mm-hmm. is, yeah. is a little bit of a blow to Georgia's inline tight end usage because I think he was – was and is a very good blocker. Um, obviously, we know they trust Bowers in, in the inline type role, but um, yeah, I think they'll use him as as like the H-back sniffer that they, they've done it in the past. And on G-Day, they ran, you know, two tight ends on five of the first seven snaps of the game for the first team offense. But I'm very curious to see how this all works with Oscar Delp. And it's not a knock on him, but he's just more of, I think, natural as a stand-up receiver. And that's, that's not real. You know, like over the last couple of years, that's, it's been like, Hey, we're going to put Darnell Washington at the end of the line of scrimmage. And then we're going to have Brock Bowers go stand up in the slot. And that might be kind of reversed this time around. Yeah. And lucky film in high school, he had a lot of that like hybrid fullback, more like an RPO fullback. Um, but I also will say, um, love it taking a majority of his snaps from the slot in Missouri. Not saying that that's how we're going to use it, but that's what it's looking like. Um, that's probably going to change us using those two tight end packages as well, in my opinion. Yeah, it definitely could. And I mean, I guess the other curious thing would be, will we maybe see Georgia go empty like more than they they have uh, the last couple of years just because of the running back depth stuff that we were talking about. Like, do, do you see them run some stuff where uh, they, they go, you know, four wide and, um, and then put a tight end as an inline or even go five wide and flex the tight end out. Like, I don't know. I asked Kirby smart kind of not about fullback hybrid, tight end usage but i asked him about like will they continue you know is the 12 personnel thing part of their philosophy at this point at sec media days and you know his answer was like we'll put you know seven wide receivers out there if we think that's our best players um i think that that's good to say for wide receiver recruiting especially when you get negatively recruited on that but i think the reality is that the matchups those tight ends create from a run block and pass catching standpoint is something that is like very important philosophically to their offense. And I don't think they, they want to lose that. All right, moving on. Thank you again for the question, Bill. Um, let's, let's hit some, uh, recruiting questions here and these are these are three questions in one what let's start here what drop slash ads do you expect for the 2024 recruiting class dustin do you have some thoughts on this um i know that um chris cole is visiting um southern USC. cal yeah, yeah. i think jason said that he might visit tennessee before his commitment I can't promise what Jason said, but 
that can might make that tricky. Um, you know, you got McCray, which I think there's a long time. He might take that the national sign today. That would probably be the other one I would say we lean. I know there's Cam McHale out there. Um, personally, um, I think that he might want to play um, offense if he decides to do that. He won't be playing at Georgia. So those are kind of the ones I think Breland, um, that one's going to, that one could go all the way to national sign today, but that could be a little bit NIL um, related. So it's going to be, as we all know from the last couple of weeks, it's really hard to predict NIL recruitments and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, people, I want to clarify that people can go after that. You know, we don't know their situations and their families and stuff. So if they want to revolve around that, that's, that's their prerogative, but so it's not a bad thing, but I do think that that one's going to be NIL related. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, all those names that you mentioned are kind of the big ones, right? Um, I don't know. There's been a lot of, like, conflicting intel, I feel like, on on Breland recently. Like, it seemed like things were really hot there, and now people feel like they might have cooled a little bit because he's talking about visiting, I think, A&M and maybe Oregon as well in season. It's going to be interesting. Uh, but, you know, I, th- I think Georgia's still – likes where they are in that recruitment and mm-hmm. by no yep. means do I think Georgia's out of it. Um, just personally, like from watching the film kind of thing uh, of, of these guys that we're talking about, like if you could get one, I, I, I think you want to go get LJ McCray. I think that dude is freaky. Um, but I, uh, I'm not sleeping on, on the wide receiver class being all wrapped up like i think that there's still there's a reason that ryan wingo remains uncommitted maybe that you know maybe that changes it could change obviously you know he's gone from being crystal ball to georgia now he's at missouri in between people thought he was going to texas um i do think there's some nil factors to the wingo recruitment but i also think that uh well hell i'll just share what you know we shared on talk central a couple months back like when he was on his texas visit i I think that they you know kind of offered him what he was looking for from an nil standpoint and you know he hit up some current georgia recruits and asked them if they thought jeremiah smith was going to be part of uga's class which tells me like you know I, i think in his heart of hearts he he might like georgia better than anywhere as far as like a place to go to school. Um, so I don't know. Point being it's recruiting. There's going to be some drama talking about Georgia and their stature in college football. Um, Kirby smart. If, if there's a school out there that has a crop of highly ranked recruits that, uh, you know, all of a sudden goes and has a five and seven season, I can promise you he's going to pounce on some of them. Yep. But uh, it is a little weird to be, like, in August and be like, oh, you know, there's really only, like, four or six guys we're, we're watching super close for the cycle right now. Um, yeah, people flip flips happen during the season called teams. Some teams blow up. And I think you, you made a good point in one of your, your tweets. I can't remember it was day or yesterday when I was looking through. I mean, all these people are keep saying everybody's going to go over. 
and you just mathematically can't happen. Some of these teams are, you yeah. know, LSU, Alabama, Texas A&M, they can't all go undefeated. And, and Tennessee, South Carolina, and Kentucky can't all be second place. So some of these teams are going to fall back. And kids, all these bona fide stars, for the most part, do not want to play with teams that are look like their coach might be out the door. So um, not saying – LSU or anything like that's going to happen, but you know all these all these programs just can't win ten plus games this year. Yeah, um, the kind of last part of the question here was uh, like I'll take who, that part. Yeah, beyond continuing to recruit KJ Bolden, who else do you think Georgia might go after for safety? Yeah, so me and Grant, we just literally spent five minutes talking about DBs and, you know, depth there. So, you know, I, I personally not saying that we can't get K.J. Bolden, but more so talking about who else to go after. I, I mean, mate, I'm not even saying this because I haven't dug too deep into it, but maybe to get the safety from Florida, um, that'd probably be the only one caliber, caliber that we probably would go after, but there's a lot of guys that we have that could move to safety. We have um, guys that are backing up the safety. Um, so, I, you know, we have guys that we got in this class for cornerback that we're not even mentioning so far. So Justin Rett. I think, yeah, so I think we'll, we'll use this year as more of a year to cross-train in season with the third team and scout team and kind of see who does good on the cross-training and kind of make those adjustments as we go. Yeah, what about Cam Michael? I mean, I know you mentioned like he might want to play a receiver, and if he does, then he won't play at Georgia. Yeah. But he's a corner like... star prospect, in my opinion. Um, I don't, I don't see him projecting a safety. Interesting. Okay, good to good to know. Um, cool. All right. Uh, Dog God asks, what freshman will make the quickest impact? And what fresh freshmen will make the biggest impact? Um, it's kind of a fun, intriguing question. What what are your do you have any thoughts off the off the bat? I think quickest one I thought was kind of a layup. I'm going with the kicker, Peyton Woodring. Damn. That, that you really have that? No, but that was that was a smooth move right there, my friend. Um, Nobody was even thinking about the kickers. I mean, that could be the answer to both of them, but I think that, man, when me and you were talking about too deep in this show, I kind of went back and forth from two of them, but I really think Jordan Hall could, you know, he's he's one or two injuries away from being a very, very important part of the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I won't give my backup because my backup could have been yours, but that's, that's probably where I'm at. Yeah, I mean – like I want to echo your your Peyton Woodring call out there because uh, on this podcast we firmly believe that special teams are a third of the game. You know, we uh, we prescribe to to game changing special teams, and I just look, man. I'll uh, I'll just give you guys a a little a little freebie here. Georgia's punting unit looks absolutely elite right now. The the kid from down under. Thorson, this has just been booting bombs all fall camp. So uh, I'm pretty excited to see Georgia punt. We might not see him punt the first couple weeks of the season, but at some point we will. Uh, yeah, I, I, so, I mean, I think that maybe the, the biggest impact and quickest impact, you're probably right. It probably is Woodring. Just stick with, like, position players. I'll say that 
Um, I think that I'm going to go with Damon Wilson as yeah, that was my backup. maybe maybe the quickest impact just in terms of like, I, I think as soon as he hits the field, it's going to be noticeable. And we assume we're going to see Georgia play probably 70 guys maybe in the first couple of weeks of the season. And I think you're going to see him have like one or two kind of wow moments where he just like comes off the edge and shows that bend and jump that first round NFL pass rushers have. Um, I also think that we'll see. Oh, you know what? I should have said him too. For, for biggest impact, I'm going to say Aguero. I think Aguero ends up becoming like their kind of maybe their six DB when they play kind of some, some packages with, with six defensive backs. And I know they got dirty Dan back there and they love dirty Dan <laughs> and we are a pro dirty Dan podcast, but um, I, yeah, I just, I think like the buzz on Aguero is like, Hey, he's, you know, he hits like a linebacker and he moves like a, you know, really good, really fast, very twitchy defensive back, and he doesn't take any bad steps. And I think if you hear that about a true freshman at Georgia, like he's probably going to play a lot in his career. And um, and injuries happen in football. You know, we, we wish good health on everybody, obviously, but like the odds of Georgia going all season without having somebody in that secondary miss a game, probably pretty low. Right. And uh, I think that like he's already pushing Tyke Smith some at that star position. So I think it makes sense. Um, good question, dog. God, thank you for that one. Uh, we got a couple questions in here um, in the live chat. So I want to hit those real quick. Um, Corey Williams, who do they send out for punt returner? Uh, Aguero, speaking of, is is one of the guys that they've been given a, a good hard look at. Uh, I, I think Makai Muse obviously will get some run there, and uh, Yazid Haynes is another one that I, be, I believe has been taking reps in fall camp. Those are probably the three I would watch right now, in addition to Lad McConkey, who obviously did it last year. You got any? Yeah, Aguero, Aguero, if you got to look him up on Twitter and just type punt return touchdowns with his name. He had like three last year. So he's, he's really good. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, the thing that they, I, I know specifically uh, like about Aguero and punt return is that that dude is not afraid of contact. He gets straight mm-hmm. upfield. And I mean, like that's, that's what you gotta do on punt return, right? Like it, you can't dance around. You gotta, you gotta pick a hole and hit it. All right. Um, Sammy asks, and I think this is a really pertinent, timely question. Do you think Georgia will pass an NIL law where they can keep players like Juju Lewis from going to USC? <laughs> well, those are, okay. by offering kids an NIL in high school if they commit to Georgia and in-state school. Uh, first of all, you know, I, I think like Juju Lewis not coming to Georgia – I mean, I, I don't know. Like I said on Dog Central 
back in, when I got back from Elite Eleven, I was pretty convinced that he was never coming to Georgia. Just it didn't didn't seem to be trending that way. But um, that's kind of a different question. What do you like? What are your thoughts? Because I mean, this is this has come up a lot lately, right? Um, with with Missouri and Missouri, the state of Missouri having some stud prospects this year. Like, if you're an in-state kid in the state of Missouri, if you sign with Missouri, uh, you can get NIL while you're still in high school, and you don't have to sign a letter of intent to do that. You can just sign a basic financial aid agreement. <laughs> And the law also says that uh, the SEC and the NCAA can't do anything about it. It is illegal to punish the University of Missouri for any NIL-related behaviors. And I've read this law a few times. It's it's pretty ironclad. It basically gives Mizzou carte blanche to do anything they want with in-state prospects when it comes to NIL dollars. What do you think about that in the state of Georgia, Dustin? I think that just like all the other ones, with due time, I think they'll all have a level playing field. So, I mean, that's what we saw when NIL came through. So, um, yeah, I do think it's interesting, though, with them signing out of SEC school, if they end up doing that. I don't know all the verbiage on that, how hard it is to transfer to another SEC school. So, um, it is a very serious thing to sign with the school. I know a lot of people are talking about them switching schools and stuff, but – I'm pretty sure you have to, I think, like, Smoke Bowie, he had to get at the campus by June 5th, so you really can't really wait if you're going to go to another SEC school, if you can correct me if I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. And if I mean, if you're going to transfer in conference, you got to have a waiver normally. Um, yeah. One thing that's interesting is that, you know, like a, a very heralded kid, like a, a letter of intent, a national letter of intent is, is really just, it's a, it's basically a contract between the player and the school. And what it does is it guarantees your scholarship, but when you sign it, you also, you know, at that point in time, like there's some rules that you got to play by that aren't always convenient and it does limit, you know, when you can transfer and in some cases where you can transfer I, I think you're going to see more and more of these five-star kids like a Williams Venary who everyone's going to save a position on their football team for regardless. Just say, no, I'm good. I'm not going to sign your letter of intent because I know you're going to save me a scholarship no matter what. And now if the position coach that I loved when I decided I was going to come to school here leaves, then I can dip out, you know, the next day if I feel like it. So that's that's the interesting piece, but I guess on the NIL side of things within the state of Georgia, I mean, Brian Kemp is a uh, <laughs> he's a UGA fan, right? Um, Georgia is going to, I'm sure, continue to stay competitive from a, a legal standpoint, but uh, I don't. The reason why Juju Lewis is going to USC doesn't have anything to do. I mean, like, it, yes, he's going to make some some NLI, NLI, yeah, NIL money. Sorry, uh, when he gets out there, for sure. But he can't do that right now because he lives in the state of Georgia. If you see him transfer to California, you know, next season, then then he can because kids in California can can get NIL early. But 
Um, the reality is that Georgia is not a school that get, gets involved. Like, there's a lot of kids. Georgia's got the number one ranked recruiting class right now, and there's a lot of kids that would be in it that would make it even more absurd if Georgia was down to play the the back and forth kind of bidding war type game. Um, they're not going to do it. Like they're willing to give kids money and to make some, some NIL promises, I think, but they're not willing to like make it all about that. Like they want a kid that wants to come to Georgia because they want to do things the Georgia way and be developed by Georgia. And then, um, you know, there's, there's NIL dollars available, especially if you perform well as a player at UGA. But um, it's not that they're not competitive or, you know, like I don't think that's why they're losing some kids, the the laws in state. But I do yeah, think, like, it's hard to be competitive with the Missouri law. You know, like with Maneri, he can get – the number that I've been told that he will make on September 1st as basically a de facto signing bonus for picking Mizzou is a very significant amount of money, like significant. So that is something that is different, right? Like that, that's, that's a whole other ball game. You got any other thoughts? No, I would just say if we weren't playing the NIL game correctly, we, I mean, we only got two people out of the board or three ended up with only two. If we weren't playing that right, then we wouldn't have the good attrition that we do. So I feel like all that means is um, he's doing, he's playing it right. For sure. Um, okay. This is kind of a fun one. What player not on the UGA roster would make the most impact immediately at Georgia? Any player in college football? Um, I don't know if we're running out of the same one, but obviously it was only about two or three players that I was looking at. But for me, um, I think it's the most talented player for me, Marvin Harrison Jr. I I take him. Damn. Um, I think if you put him, if you put him in our lineup with what we have at the field position, um, I'll I'll, I'll roll with Carson Beck in that scenario. Um. And then the other thing, um, which I don't know who you're going to pick, but if it was who I, I, my other person was going to pick, um, I feel like I feel like the way our team's built, um, we need we need someone that's going to help us win with what we have. I don't think we have to have someone that's got a. Um, I don't think we have to revolve our whole team around the quarterback. In my personal opinion. So I got you. Um... My answer is still going to be a quarterback. It's it, it's Drake May or Caleb Williams, and I think it's probably Drake May for what Georgia wants to do. Uh, I think Carson Beck, good quarterback, right? Like I, I, we liked what we saw from him last year. Um, this is not me hating on or doubting Carson Beck, but if you could guarantee me right now that Georgia is going to have a quarterback who gets through reads on time, texts the football and, you know, basically delivers accurately downfield, then I'll guarantee you right now that Georgia's winning a third straight national title. Like, I know that Beck throughout this offseason, because, you know, good things have happened and and there's been 
positive reports on him and all that, like everyone feels like, Hey, like Carson Beck is a Heisman candidate potentially. And Hey, I've, I've personally, I've got a little chunk on Carson Beck for Heisman. Cause I think it makes sense if he hits, but I don't know if he's going to hit. I mean, shit, they picked Dewan Mathis to be the starter once they picked JT Daniels to be the starter in 2021. Like, no offense, but they don't have a great track record of picking starting quarterbacks at times. And and that's just that's true throughout college football because we don't ever really know until we know. There's no way to simulate what happens on game day because these dudes don't get tackled to the ground in fall camp. And so for me, that's that's what I want to know. And I think if you told me Drake May is coming to town or Caleb Williams is coming to town or pick your favorite quarterback in college football. And it's a known what type of play you're getting from him. Then, um, yeah, I, I would, I would take that dude. Sorry. People are going to think I'm a hater now. Um, I thought they were going to hate you if you pick May over Williams, but I think with our team, the way it's set up, May might be the better pick. I mean, Georgia's got a good offensive line, so mm -hmm. yep. that's why I think. I agree. Caleb Williams is obviously a great player, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't – his strength is more improvising than delivering the ball on time, and I think Georgia needs someone to deliver the ball on time. Agree. Harry thinks Michael Penix is intriguing. Um, I mean, he's good, but I wouldn't – I don't know. I would take the other two in front of him. All right, let's – get into some juicy stuff here. We know what Georgia's concerns are going into the season. New quarterback, new offensive coordinator, replacing starters on defense. What are our main rivals' concerns? Specifically, Bama, Tennessee, and LSU. This is from Hal. Um, we're 50 minutes into the show, so I don't want to turn this into a, a 25 to 30 minute answer. But, uh, you know, I think there are some kind of some some things we can hit on. Uh, do you want to pick one of those to, to go first on, Dustin? You, you you give me who you want me to hit. Fire away. I don't care. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just go with my, my short answer for, for Bama. Um, I know a lot of people might pick on the defense, but I had them as 167 tackles for loss the past two seasons. Um, you know, they uh, – I mean, with their offensive line with that and not really bringing anybody in from the portal. I mean, I know that they have people coming back, but um, with, with their quarterback problems that they have, I wouldn't say problems, but the quarterback not being something that's in there for certain um, and not really having bona fide stars at the wide receiver like they've had in the past with them needing to be a little bit more run heavy than they probably were in the past. I think to them that's going to make it very, very tough when they're going to play in certain games where they're going to have to play shootouts. Um, and I think Kirby's learned in the past having a team that's just going to depend on the run and can't really air it out when they need to isn't. They're going to have two to three games this year in the regular season that they're going to have to name their score. And I just don't know with that offensive line if they can do it. Um, and I, I mean, it's good that they had a five-star recruit come in for the offensive line, but – I don't know if I'd be trust, trusting a, a 17, 18-year-old guy playing offensive tackle on my line. I think that's really well said. And, I, I yeah, I mean, I would say both lines of scrimmage for them because their defensive line play is, is 
and and they're not they're not deep on defensive line. That's their their issue there. They have have one or two guys, but I mean they're not deep. They're going to be depending on some high school guys there. Yeah, I mean go back and look at uh, what was the number of rushing yards they gave up to to Auburn last year? I mean I think Auburn hung three hundred <laughs> on the ground on them. A shitty Auburn team at that, right? Like not with Ashford, with Ashford yeah, with Robbie Ashford under center. Auburn ran up 318 rushing yards on them without any real threat of pass. I mean, they had 77 passing yards in the game. So, like, you knew they were running the ball all the time and you couldn't stop it. That That's concerning. Um, Is offensive and defensive coordinator issue for you over there, having new coordinators, or is that not an issue with saving? I don't know. Um, I mean, I think it's, you know, Kevin Steele is kind of like hiring – joke you like like Pruitt or something someone that already knows the system I wouldn't I don't think he's that good but yeah I mean I think he's I think he's predictable um I I think what you said though about the offensive line and then not having really a known commodity at quarterback thus needing to lean more on your offensive line like I I think it's a problematic scenario if if things don't hit right so I, I think you nailed that one for Tennessee, I would say it's like, hey, we just had a, you know, we just had a quarterback who, I mean, what did he threw five interceptions over two seasons, right? Or something that I think that was it. Like, you know, damn near 60 touchdowns and five interceptions over two seasons. And just even with that level of quarterback play, uh, you know, we, we still, we still couldn't quite get to where the, we wanted to go, you know, you won the game against Bama and you couldn't catch that in. Do I really think that Tennessee's getting better this year? I think their offensive line is middling and I have questions about it, especially with them losing Darnell Wright to the NFL at tackle, but Hypel system is designed to basically minimize talent disadvantages. So Maybe they paper over that, but I just – I don't know about their secondary still. I think there's still big questions on their defense. And at the end of the day, they're still not even a blue-chip ratio program. Like, they're – you know, they're, their recruiting has been good in terms of uh, kind of the positions that they already excel at. Like, they continue to sign good wide receivers and stuff, but they're not – they're not signing enough – good defensive lineman to to hold up against the the big boys in the league or in college football nationally so i just think line of scrimmage even even running the the hypo offense like it still matters and when you play good teams they'll make it matter even more um and then lsu i think it's it's offensive line right would you agree with that yeah Yep. Um that's what I had as my, my points I had them was um the the um their backups. They're returning they're returning the offensive lines, but they had um pretty much four four out of their five backups are transferred out. Um and then also I had secondary. They lost major burns, Sage Ryan and Greg Brooks. Um and they hit the portal for that, but I mean they hit all four of those guys they had in the portal. It'll be fine, but depth-wise, there, 
Um, it seems like that team, out of all the teams for cornerback and safety depth, that team always has injuries. Like you watch a game about every week and someone gets hurt. So that's going to be very, very big for them. And I don't think they really – I mean, they're a team that probably could do shootouts, but I just don't know if I want to trust their quarterback just to pick them apart. And, I mean, they got neighbors, um, but I just don't know if they have bona fide studs around there unless you think Anderson's going to just be really good this year. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see. I think that – I think their offense will kind of figure it out, especially with – the element of Daniels being able to use his legs. Um, but yeah, the, the secondary depth is a question over the course of the season, but it's, it's really problematic because of the fact they open with Florida state week one and they got to deal with, you know, that, that offense is dynamic and they're going to stress you downfield with Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman that's a pretty gnarly receiver tandem to deal with right off the bat when you have a full secondary of players who haven't really played together. So I think those are our, uh, that's our quick and dirty uh, <laughs> thoughts on those three teams. We got that done in six or seven minutes. That's pretty impressive for that question. I think so too. Uh, let's quick, take a quick one from the chat from Aiden. Uh, do you think we get a thousand yard receiver this year? This just seems like the year that it could happen with our wide receiver depth, not to mention having Brock Bowers, who might as well be a wide receiver. Okay, so we're including Brock Bowers, I guess, in the the thousand yard receiver discussion here. Um, what do you think, Dustin? Is this the year we going that all we give in the whole year? Or yeah, fifteen. If they if they play fifteen, which is. It's basically I mean, 66 uh, a game. I mean, the, the real issue is some of these guys are probably going to be playing half games. So really 15 is probably going to regardless go down to 13 or 12. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would – I think I think about – I don't know. I would say it's probably like a 40% chance that Bowers could do it. I'm just way more higher on Lovett than other people. I think people are going to really just be shocked. Um, and he's he's the type of guy that could – with Bowers on this team, and he didn't have a Bowers where he was at Missouri. I know we, we distribute the ball out yeah. a lot, but that's the thing that would kill me. Like, if we had Bowers and him at Missouri, and, and we knew he could get the ball a lot more. But, I mean, Lovett's really going to love the system with um, Bowers. That would be my second guy to see something happen with. Yeah, I think, uh, dude, I, I think it's probably, um, I, I think Lovett's the best chance. Yeah. But you go across the board and it's like, well, you got Brock Bowers over there. You got to feed They're him the ball. Yep. You got Lad McConkie. Uh, you have more, I think you have three legitimate options at X receiver. When a couple of years ago, let's be honest, that position for Georgia when George Pickens was hurt was basically like a glorified perimeter blocker and somebody that could, you know, occasionally catch like a short intermediate route. But there wasn't really any like big deep ball threat at the X for Georgia. Um, there's more weapons than ever. And so maybe they rack up more passing yards as a team than they have 
almost ever before, or maybe even, you know, I mean, we're not going to, I don't think they're breaking Eric Zier records of pass yards a game and stuff <laughs> like that, but like they're going to throw the ball around at times. I just, I just think there's too many mouths that have to get fed for anybody to, to have a big T-bone on their plate. Over under 700. That's the first 12 games on prospects. But I looked at that for who? last year for, for Bowers, but that's only in the first 12 games. They don't have love it. But when you looked at um, Bowers' numbers, the postseason play, that's when he just ate. I mean, he had over 100 yards in the national championship. And I think SEC championship, he also went off too. So, I mean, he had about 225, 50 yards in those two games alone. Yeah, and I mean, that's one thing that I've talked about a lot that I write about and, you know, I've read, I wrote about this in the 12 takeaways last year, but like Georgia was on the long con tour last year and they were like, did you trademark that? I should have, dude. I should have made like mocking long, con tour, some t-shirts where it was like Todd mocking, like on tour, like a band, you know, and you had like the dates on the back, but it was like games. It would have been sick. Probably would have gotten sued though. Um, I, uh, I'm a big fan of the fact that like Georgia's not out there putting touchdown plays on tape in week three against UAB when they're up 20 points, you know, like, I don't think it matters really. And I think you go back to late last season, they kind of struggled on offense in the eyes of a lot of people against Kentucky and Georgia tech. And then they went and hung 50 on LSU the next week. And I think a lot of that was like, they, you know, I don't want to say they were like trying to keep games close cause they're not, but they aren't going to run all their red zone touchdown plays against Kentucky and Georgia tech when they know their defense is going to kind of hold those teams at arm's length and they just have to kind of get, you know, get into the high teens or low twenties to win. So um, I just don't think they're going to empty the clip like they need to week by week to, to have that many. Um, okay. We got a couple questions left here. And your this is kind of an ambiguous question from Stetson is the goat. Uh, in your opinion, what is the most realistic highest ceiling this offense and defense could reach this year could this be uga's greatest team overall based on stats and personnel um you're the stats guy so i'm leaving that question totally to you uh if you look at the schedule at least regular season i think that this defense could maybe bump right up on the the points per game allowed from the 2021 defense. I don't think it'll be as uh, against as good a competition in the regular season, but mm-hmm. I, I think that like that, I think Georgia's defense has a chance to be very dominant. Um, and I think this offensive line could go down as the best we've ever seen in Athens. I think similar things could be true about the, at least the pass catching depth you know, I don't know that there's that front line electric star like George Pickens. I think Dominic Lovett is a star in his own right because he's going to create a lot of separation, but he's not like 6'3 and jumps out of the gym kind of dude. Um, yeah, I, I, 
I don't know. I mean, I think that like it could be it's possible that that we look back on it and this is regardless of whether Georgia wins at all or not, but it could end up being maybe one of Kirby Smart's most well-rounded teams or his most well-rounded team. Mm-hmm. But I still do have questions like we talked about earlier in the show about certain positions and and certain guys, so um that's I don't know, you have any other thoughts to add on that? No, I'm echo everything you just said. All right. Two more. Uh this what? is from tra- Travel and Light. I think that's a widespread panic reference. If so, you're probably a good hang. Uh well Georgia play more nickel and dime packages this year due to depth slash versatility at DB. I, I think so. And I, I think it's, I think it's because they've got, you know, in Georgia's system, like the star is basically a safety more than a corner, and I just think they've got like six safeties that they feel comfortable playing uh, between Starks, Bullard, Tyke Smith, Aguero, Dirty Dan, uh, David Daniels had a very good camp, Jacory mm-hmm. Thomas as well, like. There's a lot of depth in the middle. Yeah, Justin Rett. I don't know that we'll see him much this year, but I think yeah, they like long term. So I, I think also it's just like if you look at modern college football, you know, you're you're running into more and more of those spread passing attacks. And um the best way to defend them is by having guys that can cover but also can come up and support the run. And that's what you get from those kind of safety style players. Do you have any thoughts on that one? No, no. I mean, our tackling, I mean, um, that's, that's one of the, the main things that allows them to be as versatile. These guys are sure tacklers that if he needs to be in the run sport and be closer to the, to the box, they can do it. So I think, I think the way he's recruited the style of players, I think a lot of people, I mean, you kind of look at um, what was the safety downs. Like everybody was so upset we didn't hit on downs. They got Aguero, but if you look at our our defense, he's, I mean, downs is a stud. I'm not going to sit here and say that, but if you look at the style of our defense, I think Aguero can be just as valuable as the downs can be. For sure. Yeah, I agree. Okay, uh, last question of the show. Before we get into it, you've seen this – if you've been watching us on YouTube, you've seen our scroll on the bottom about our friends at homefieldapparel.com. Uh, I am wearing a, a wonderful, soft, excellent looking homefield apparel t shirt right now. You can see the top half of it on your screen. Uh, they are an excellent supporter of this show and of everything that we do at Dog Central. Uh, they, they not only are sponsoring this show this year, but they will also be partnering with our friends at my got a podcast and 100 Sanford to bring you uh, the simply the best uh, throwback style apparel in, I think anywhere you're not going to find any cooler designs than what they offer. Uh, Their Georgia collection is awesome, but they also have awesome things from a wide range of universities. There's hundreds of schools on there. Um, Go check them out. Use code DOGCENTRAL23, all caps, for 20% off your first order. Uh, 
Home Field Apparel sponsors a lot of different college football adjacent projects, but they very, very rarely give out 20% off codes. So you can get one from us. And uh, a little secret that I'm not supposed to share is that even if you've ordered from Home Field Apparel before, as long as you use a new email, you can still use that 20% off code. So Dog Central 23, homefieldapparel.com. Check them out. And uh, yeah, let's move on to the last question of the show here. This is from our friend Cam. What does UGA have to accomplish in 2023 for it to be considered successful in your opinion? Would it be enough to just win the SEC championship and make the playoffs, or do they have to do more? Dustin, I'll let you start here. Yeah, I was thinking about this one on my ride home from work, trying to think of how I was going to answer this. and I'm probably even going to switch up now that I'm thinking about it, but I think we've been really spoiled. Um, man, I'm just trying to think of my immediate reaction and trying not to be a just a true fan. I, I would think with the way Las Vegas odds and everything is, I think going to the national championship probably would be my, my bar of being a successful year. Um, man. Um, but, you know, going just going to the playoffs, I think that's just bare minimum for me. I might could be stretched to that since I've just been um, – I've been um, – you were like in the dog hair right now. But I would say with this particular team, I think a championship, just making it to the game would probably be the, the successful year bar. Yeah, I, I think I – I'm not going to go so far as to say national championship. My initial reaction to this question was that – with Georgia's schedule in the regular mm-hmm. season and just the, the talent that they have on this team, it's hard for me to feel like not, you know, anything short of making the playoff probably is a little bit of a failure. There's also the side of me that's like, look, you know, Nick Saban in Alabama built probably the greatest college football dynasty we've seen, at least in modern times. Mm-hmm. And they had a chance to play for a third straight national title and the kick six happened, you know, like weird stuff happens in college football. It is a fluky sport. Strange things go down and, uh, and injury luck is part of that. Right. And so, you know, there's like, if Georgia loses Carson Beck for the season, then does my idea of what success is change, you know? And I, I think that's all, kind of dependent on what's behind some of these guys and what the depth looks like. So it's hard to speak in absolutes on this question, but right now, knowing what I know today, assuming the guys that we think are going to be there are going to be there. It's, it's hard not to say, uh, you know, making the playoffs because with human beings being on that college football playoff committee, I feel like, you know, you, you've got, a back-to-back national champion, even if they lose a game in the regular season, there's no way a 12 and one sec champion in Georgia isn't going to the CFP. Like it would, it would require something historic in terms of other teams being undefeated nationally. Right. So uh, yeah, I think it, you know, you're kind of talking like, unless it's something really weird circumstantially, 
where they lose one game and they don't win the SEC East because of it, you would have to you'd have to lose two probably to not make it. Yeah, the the thing I will say before not to get you on a long rant, but this is probably the last year that you could say making it to the playoffs is a is a big thing to do. Oh, I know they're ruining the best sport in the world, but we don't need to talk we about that. We don't want to change it. We don't need to go down that wormhole. I'm working <laughs> on a little piece. It's okay. Um, yeah, and I'm hey, you know, this is kind of the last real college football season that we might ever see, just in terms of like so much stuff changing from the Big Ten becoming, you know, a coast to coast conference and the Pac 12 disappearing and the Big 12 becoming. I don't know what exactly uh, a lot's going to a lot is going to change starting in 2024. So enjoy this one, you know, and enjoy. I mean, the thing I'll say to Georgia fans, especially those of you that are still watching, which uh, surprisingly, it seems like a lot of you still are. Um, like this doesn't happen. If you told mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like two years ago, right now, you were desperate to just get one. Just get the monkey off my back. All I want to see is one and I can die happy. Don't <laughs> don't become the thing that you hated. Like sure. Alabama fans, you know, you watched them in the 20 teens become like this extremely spoiled, petulant fan base where – you know, anything was – any slight was unacceptable and any loss was, you know, like maybe we should consider blowing everything up or, you know, this is a huge failure. It's a weird sport, man. Things are going to happen. And if Georgia does win three in a row, I think it will be the greatest accomplishment, the greatest team accomplishment, the greatest run that we have seen by anybody in college football since – segregation happened in the sport or I'm sorry, since desegregation happened in the sport. Like, and that's, you know, really when the modern era of the sport started. So I, I think we've got to, got to keep some perspective if you're a Georgia fan, because if it's just national championship or bust, then it's kind of a recipe to like make yourself a little, you know, a little poo pooey, even if you do have like a a great thirteen and one season, and you go back and challenge, and you get into a uh, you get into another game like you had with Ohio State last year, and maybe the bounce doesn't fall your way that time. And there, there's no shame in that. There's going to be other good teams this year, and uh, it's certainly not a failure if Georgia doesn't threepeat, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree. I was we had season tickets for over ten years. I remember just being like, "Hey, I just want to see one and go to a national championship with my dad." And then you finally do, it and you're like, "Hey, yeah. like." But um, that's what I'm saying, man. Be be appreciative for Kirby Smart, and compared to other coaches, he's pretty young. So it's kind of a blessing to have him on your side. Absolutely. Well, I think that is a uh, a good note to end on. Thank you, uh, all of you who've been in the chat active tonight. Sacred Grove, Harry, TJ, Aiden. Uh, you know, a lot of you are here every week. David, Corey, appreciate y'all joining in. 
it's a lot more fun to interact with you in real time as we do this. So, um, hope you guys will be back and join us. Uh, I think Josh and I are going to try and do a little preview content somewhere in the back half of the week. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll touch on some Georgia topics when we do it. And then, uh, we're going to try and make sure we do this show every Tuesday night moving forward. So, uh, hopefully Dustin will be back with us for, for most or all of those, depending on his schedule. And, uh, yeah, Dustin, thanks for joining us this evening. Thanks, Ryan. See you, man. See you, buddy.